that's where great editors excel is when they can really create new meaning with the shots that they see. I, I always say a shot is a building block. As an editor, you constantly have that power to completely mix it up and create something new if you have to and make the moment stronger. Jenny. Hey, Sky. So it's August, month five of quarantine. And although folks are starting to get back on set, truly the only part of production that is definitely safe is post, right? Editing. Nothing wrong with editing. Hunker down. And you're in a little black hole. Yeah. Um, and Which is and do your how thing. I like to work before COVID. So. I know. Amen. <laughs> Likewise. At the beginning of COVID, there was like a meme going around that was like, Turns out my lifestyle is called quarantine. <laughs> like all the editors definitely identified with that meme. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think, you know, that is the norm. And that is especially why I'm very excited to hear about today's episode. Very apropos and timely. Yeah, yeah. We've um, we've had an editor on before. Last season, we had on Kevin Clobber. I loved the interview. And so many people too. have talked about how helpful it was for them. So mm -hmm. I was really wanting to have another editor on. Our guest today, his name is Sven Pape. Mm -hmm. He runs this YouTube channel called This Guy Edits, and it's basically the secrets of professional editors. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate it as someone who didn't go to film school and didn't learn these things. Like I feel mm -hmm. like I'm always sitting down to a video and I'm like, how do I even begin to organize this footage think about the structure of this story. And it feels like it's like a little mini editing film school on YouTube. Well, I can just counter that and say, I did go to film school and I did take Premiere 101. And I can also attest to the fact that I did not learn many of the things that Sven talks about. Yeah. And, and whether you learned it in film school or not, we talk about logistical things like how he organizes and labels and logs footage to what separates good editors from great editors, and how doc editing and narrative editing differ, and what those two kind of editors can learn from each other. Mm -hmm. A lot, right? Because there are so many similarities to all of these different genres that folks are working in. Well, Jenny, shall we? Yes. So this is Sven Pape, and you're listening to Rough Cut. Here we go. Tell me how you got into editing. How did you learn editing and, and why did you decide to start this channel? I got into editing by sort of just mistake. I graduated from film school at the American Film Institute here in LA and I studied producing. And I realized during those two and a half years that I really didn't enjoy producing at all. So once I graduated, I just happened to buy a computer, a Mac, and the first Final Cut Pro system started playing with it. And I really discovered my love for editing at that point. And when a friend of mine asked me if I was going to produce his movie, sort of after graduation, first feature film that he was going to do, I said, no, I'm not interested in producing. But um, I, I just got this editing system. I, I wasn't thinking he was going to let me cut his movie, but... Uh, I wanted to play around with it, so I offered that I would do behind the scenes 
of the film. And he shot out there in Pennsylvania, like a small indie film. And we ended up doing like a webcast. And I cut all the packages for the webcast on Final Cut Pro. And that got some notoriety. And I was then um, hired by James Cameron's younger brother to do a webcast for Jim's next movie, which was going to be uh, Spider-Man. He, did, he didn't end up doing that, but we built a prototype of what, what a webcast would look like. And then the next project that he did was Ghost of the Abyss. I went up going to the boat. It's like a documentary about the Titanic and going back to the ship and, and doing photography inside the ship. And so we did a live webcast of that. I ended up becoming an assistant editor on the IMAX film and then um, also became an editor of the film. And that's sort of how my my start was. And always realizing that editing is really my passion. What made you feel the need to start this channel? Um, well, I noticed that YouTube has huge potentials which started with my daughter, who at the time was actually in, what is it called, elementary? So like really young. And she had a YouTube channel about uh, My Little Pony, little toys that she was playing with. And um, she was making money. She was one of the top 10 MLP YouTubers. And I realized, well, this medium, this has to be taken seriously. So I started playing with it. I did like a little home gardening channel i had some backyard chickens and the first video that i posted got like a hundred thousand views and I, I made some good money i made a couple hundred bucks and i'm like wow this took me 10 minutes to make and it's creating a revenue and it's going to keep creating a revenue let's take this to a new level so at the time i worked with an independent director mark weber this was our second or third collaboration and I asked him he, if he was interested in showing sort of the behind the scenes, the editing of his film. He was completely game. And um, so we, the channel actually started off with me cutting scenes, like really literally opening up the box with the hard drives. They were shooting in Philadelphia again. I was here in LA and I was going through the process of cutting scenes. And that got some views, but I quickly realized it needs to be more than just me cutting, cutting scenes. It has to be some form of educational experience as well. And once I transitioned to that and really talk about editing theory, that's when the channel started taking off. Mm. What is your editing workflow? When you get a ton of footage in, what are the first steps that you take to start to like digest and organize that footage? Well, I really emphasize selecting. So I spend a good amount of time just looking at the dailies and sorting them in a way, in a creative way. So finding ways how I can throw them into select reels or bins that I can identify the main themes or big ideas or the big characters. And it's a little bit easier with feature films because you have scenes, so you can just sort of do that by scene. But with documentary, you really need to have a very good sense of at least a good amount of footage before you can really decide what the documentary should be about and how you start it, how you get in. So selecting is super important, and that's where I really put my focus in. I always tell my students that 70% of good editing is selecting. Can you explain selecting a little bit more? Is that like um, 
placing markers in certain places? Is that creating certain bins to put footage in? Like one of the things I really struggle with with editing and I haven't even done anything very long form is, you know, I see something important and I'm like, how am I going to find that quickly later? Or how does that fit into this larger piece that I'm trying to tell? Do I, do I organize things chronologically? Do I organize them thematically? What have you learned from like trial and error to make that kind of organization process more streamlined? Yeah, this is, this is a really good Good question. It depends on which editing software I cut on, but let's say we go with the traditional way of track-based editing. So there could be Avid, Premiere, or uh, Dissolve. Uh, what I do is I create a select reel for each event, each shoot, and I, I put the stuff in a chronological order, but as I put it in, I already document how I feel about the moment by just putting the shots on different video layers. So everything that happened that's usable is in video layer number one. As soon as I see something that's good, I move it to layer number two. As soon as I see something that is gold, that's brilliant, where I know like I'm feeling something, that's when I put it in video layer three. So when I then go back weeks later and look at those selects again, I immediately remember how I felt when I first saw this, and it's so important because as you keep editing, you, you're losing that emotional connection to the footage. And you need to somehow find a way to document it. So this is my way of doing it. Um, everybody has different ways of, of doing it, but I find the, the editors that really uh, figured out a way how to document how they first feel are in a really good place to cut really, really fast and make big changes when when it's going in a different direction. Mm. So that's one timeline, like one sequence that you're chronologically putting all the clips in and then you're yes. organizing them um, vertically based on you know, what you're connecting to and not connecting to. Yeah, uh, and then I would do theme bins or theme select reels. So anything that's related to a specific topic or emotion or character, I would have different select reels. And that's why I'm actually not a huge fan of track based editing, because you kind of have to redo the work, you have to like throw it into three different containers, three different timelines. And instead of doing that, what I really enjoy is anything that has a keywords, where I then can very easily cross reference. So at that point, I'm just like making a lot of um, metadata that I'm creating. And then once I start to realize, oh, this movie is really about this theme, this is really important, then I create some form of smart keyword collection that throws everything that's related to that moment in that in that uh, bin. Mm. You know, your channel spans both narrative work and documentary work, and, and it sounds like you do both. A lot of our listeners span both worlds as well. Although we are, you know, as a podcast, more focused on nonfiction, what can documentary editors learn from the narrative craft? Uh, that's an interesting question. I would say it's it's more the opposite. I think mm -hmm. a lot of narrative editors can learn a lot more from documentary and nonfiction because that kind of requires you to think out of the box and nonlinear and around the corner, and you have to make connections that are not necessarily in the script. So I actually find that if somebody that's very experienced in narrative, they have a really hard time cutting a documentary 
and somebody that is really expensive uh, experience in documentary editing they are having a blast doing narrative because it's so simple and easy um, so manageable um, and yet they still can use those skills of thinking around the corner to make scenes work when they don't work even though on script they were supposed to work and there are problems so can you explain what you mean by thinking around the corner well um taking a reaction shot that wasn't shot for the purpose of this specific line and moving it to this point because you now you want to create a new emotion you want to go in a new direction with the scene or taking stuff from other scenes and putting them into the scene and making it look like it was meant to be told that way this is really that's where great editors excel is when they can really um, create new meaning with the shots that they see. I, I always say a shot is a building block. And even though you have this blue plan of a script, as an editor, you constantly have that power to completely mix it up and create something new if you have to and make the moment stronger. So, um, yeah, that's, that's what I would say is thinking around the corners to do that. And not many editors do that. Yeah, you do talk a lot about reaction shots on your channel i've noticed and it seems like there's a lot you can do with that as an editor oh yeah i mean reaction shots are basically letting us into how a character feels and thinks so and usually you can use a very neutral reaction shot and make the audience feel anything if you cut it in a way um, that that emotion is being created in in the actor's eyes what are some of the challenges that you see documentary editors face? I mean, you mentioned earlier that it's in some ways more challenging to cut a documentary than a narrative. What are some of the roadblocks that you see people constantly running into? Well, I mean, the biggest challenge in a documentary is figuring out a dramatic arc that makes it feel like a complete film and that you're going through a journey that's worthwhile undergoing you have a lot of documentaries that are uh, very episodical it's like this happened and this happened and this happened and this happened we're done and that makes it a very boring documentary to turn it in a way where you have a character that sets off on a journey has obstacles trying to overcome these and then either succeed or fail and grow that's a that's when you tell a story that's exciting Sometimes you get lucky, documentaries have that intrinsically in them, like especially if it's like a competition of something. Like I just recently saw AlphaGo, uh, the documentary, and that's, I would assume, easier to cut than just a day in a life kind of documentary where we don't know where we're going because you know at the end, is the computer going to win or is the human going to win? And it all leads up to that moment of and how is that going to affect us all? that we're now not as smart as a computer anymore. Um, yeah, it's so, it's in some ways like so not easy. Nothing about making a film is easy, but it's easier with narrative to just kind of create this three-act structure that has tension built into it. But with documentary, I mean, you can't make things up. It is very hard to build tension and to, you know, raise the stakes and make people care about the story. Yeah. And that's why I think it's so important to select because you don't know where you're going un until you've seen pretty much all of the footage and you know, okay, this is where it all leads up to and then you can work backwards. 
yeah, how do you do that with selects when, you know, let's say you're shooting a verite documentary or, you know, shooting things as they unfold and the director is giving you dailies, weeklies, um, but you don't really know where the film is going to go. Are you selecting things based on theme or moments or, you know, how do you even begin to organize that when you don't really don't know where the story is going? Yeah, I'm, I'll take it like in beats, I would say. So something that's not necessarily an arc, an entire or an entire act, but it is something that already in its own is going to be a big chunk of the documentary. And I see what, what that is. And hopefully we have already at least the second act climax by the time that we start uh, cutting the documentary. So we kind of already know like a big turning point in the character's journey. And so I would usually watch that first, select it, possibly already cut it, and then go back and decide how I'm going to set up this documentary. But, and then if, if you get that far into the journey, then you can also sort of direct a little the documentary. Like you can pick up more interviews. You kind of can foresee, okay, now we understand what the journey of the character is. So let's sort of figure out how we can cover that ending, the resolution of that in a way. So for example, we were doing the documentary Outright Age of Rage. And we, at the point when we started cutting the documentary, the events in Charlottesville already unfolded. So we knew that that's going to be what this documentary is going to lead up to. But there were still a good amount of interviews and events that needed to, to be shot that then were very much defined by what, what happened there. So you have some sense of control and, and power to produce the documentary while you're still cutting. Mm -hmm. What are some areas that you see documentary editors or, or editors just starting out? What are some areas where you see them get stuck? Well, I mean, starting off as an editor, you're really at the beginning struggling with just cutting a scene and recutting it and recutting it. Like I, f I feel like a lot of beginning editors take a long time to arrive at a scene that works and then they're still questioning whether it can be better. As you become more and more experienced, you have shortcuts. Um, so at this point for me, I tend to not really recut a lot of scenes per se. I only recut them if we feel like we fundamentally need to go in a new direction or or the director is just not on board with what's happening here. But there's not a lot of questioning on my part. Once I have a scene that I feel really good about in terms of, oh, what are the other 20 versions that I need to cut of it? I'll refine it. But if I feel like this is, this is an authentic scene, this really is the best it could be, I feel very confident about we're on the right track. And so that's, I think that's the difference between beginner and experienced editors. You really need to go through that process of cutting a scene, recutting a scene and, and questioning yourself a bunch of times before you build up that confidence and know, okay, I know my instincts are right here. Mm -hmm. Do you have any advice on how to get better at cutting a scene? Well, doing a lot of editing. That's, that's really important. So you can't really get around the grind of cutting pretty much every day or five days a week. If, if that's your passion, 
and that's where you want to be. Um, the good thing is if you're passionate about editing, it's, it doesn't feel like work necessarily. I mean, it gets hard and it can be a long journey, but um, it's not as painful as for somebody who's not passionate about editing and then they have to spend six months cutting something. That's I can't imagine what that's like. Yeah. And usually they fall off pretty fast. Yeah. How do you know when a scene isn't good? Is it just a feeling or, you know, in, in your earlier days, were you showing cuts of the scene to other people and like gauging their reactions? Or was it just internally you were like, this isn't good enough. This doesn't feel right until it feels right. Um, well, I usually feel really great about my first cut. I feel like this is amazing. And at, at the beginning, I usually would stop there because the next few cuts will be worse. You have to sort of, you get to 80% and then it sort of gets bad before it gets better than 80%. And you're trying to get to 90, 95%, which is nearly impossible to get that good. Um, so with the experience, I feel like it's great to feel good about a scene, but then really trust that it needs, there's so much more that can be done with it. It usually can be a lot tighter. You know, you're playing out all the emotion and you let it all run. And at some point you have to make some tough choice and say, we can't just um, overindulge all the time. We have to pick the moments that matter and we have to just tighten everything up that we just need to for story clarity. Ultimately, I know when a scene is done, when I see it in, in the screening room or at a festival, and we don't feel the need like we need to go back and open up the movie again. Um, that's when you really know um, whether something works or not. Once you connect with the audience, you just pick up the energy. Mm. A lot of editors I know are editing short docs or they're editing news features. Like I've never edited anything longer than 15, 17 minutes. And I can't even imagine graduating to the task of a feature length documentary. And I'm sure there's a lot of other people that would agree. Do you have any advice for someone who wants to make that jump? Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't say you necessarily need to be intimidated. Because if you can tell a great story in 17 minutes, that's a huge accomplishment. 17 minutes is a long time. And if you don't know what you're doing, if you can't engage the audience, you're going to lose them after five minutes. Like, so there's no difference between doing a five minute video that's really, really good and engaging in a 90 minute um, documentary. You just need to, um, every moment that you put in there, needs to be engaging it needs to matter it needs to not deflate and it can uh, fizzle all these things that you naturally do because you only have five minutes so you're trying to make it the best five minutes you just need to apply to to 90 minutes and usually when you when you cut that long it's like a marathon you just do every day you do a little bit and you trust it's going to be okay and you end up being much much longer you'll have a two and a half hour cut um at the beginning of your documentary. And then you really start deciding what is it, how much of that can really survive. So by the time that it's 90 minutes long or even less, it's actually really, really tight and feels feels really, really good when, when, you, when you do it right. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't be intimidated by it at all. Just do it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. A lot of filmmakers, especially beginning, like first time filmmakers, 
when they finish their first rough cut, they have this kind of like sinking feeling that their film sucks when mm -hmm. it's really just not done yet. Can you talk about moving forward from that stage? Is that something you've ever experienced with a director and how editing can really change, like how much a rough cut can really change uh, in, in the course of becoming a finished film? I, yeah, I can. I think I have a different approach to a rough cut than most editors. So I don't, I try not to have a, a rough cut that gives you that sinking feeling of, oh my God, this is a disaster. Um, what I usually do is I cut a rough cut as if it's ready to go to screen. So I, I'll make really big choices from the beginning. And if I have the right director, he'll allow me to just make radical choices right away, like throwing out lines that I think are going to go anyway, making all these huge um, things that are already making this feel like it's working is results into a rough cut that's super tight and kind of feels like it's working. The challenge is by doing it this way is you might have missed something or you might have not really given something a chance. So while you're doing that, I always kind of have the kitchen sink version of a scene right there. And I tend to show the director that version first, but it's not the version that I cut first. So I'll do my version first that I think like, this is what I think the scene is. This is what I think the movie is. Let me show you the version, the way it's shot with everything in there first. That gets you really, really scared and frustrated. And then I right away show them my version and they're like, oh my God, okay, good. I think we can take a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and we can make this work. Um, so that's been my approach to it. And I naturally just tend to, I'm very impatient. So I don't really like a scene to be bloated and have everything in there so that then later we can fix it. I want it to work right away. So that's, that's my approach. And that's not necessarily how you should start off. That's something I think we're, um, even like super experienced editors that are working on the highest level, they'll still do the kitchen sink cut first and they work off that all the way down to the final version. But there are a handful of editors that are just radical and, and do it that way. Mm -hmm. but, and that succeed at it much better than I do. Yeah, I can imagine taking that approach requires a lot of like experience and confidence to make those kind of, as you said, radical choices yeah and um and yeah a little bit of i don't know confidence i think to say yeah it, I, I just feel like this is what the scene is about so let's mm -hmm. just do that first and then if it doesn't work for you then we'll try 10 other versions do you have any um any general advice for people coming up in the documentary editing world um, well, general advice is always, I don't feel people are cutting enough. There's a lot of aspiring editors that are not cutting every day. There's so many opportunities to be working on something and it's wasted and you need those hours to build up your craft. So whatever it is, you should always be cutting and have a project that you're working on. Especially now in quarantine, it's like the only part of production we can really do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's yeah. a good time to. To, time to be an editor. Yeah. yeah. 
Okay, well, thank you so much, Sven. Yeah, absolutely. This was fun. Rough Cut is hosted and produced by me, Jenny Butler, and Sky Dylan Robbins. Han Su helps with our audio mix, and our original music is by Zach Wright. And the podcast is part of the Video Consortium, which is a global creative network and community that unites today's nonfiction filmmakers and video journalists. You can visit videoconsortium.com, and we'd love for you to join our film family. And we love hearing from listeners. So if you'd like to send us a note, you can find us on Instagram at at roughcutpodcast, or you can send us an email podcast at videoconsortium.com. And don't forget to rate us and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe. Thank you and see you soon.